is an Odyssey original. This is KNX In-Depth. I'm Mike Simpson. I'm Charles Feldman. Fear and worry growing in Ukraine. This is Russian attacks get closer to the borders of NATO countries. A recent missile strike there killing at least 35 people near the border with Poland. Russian forces continue their march toward the capital, Kiev, with possible plans to surround it. Now, this all comes as Ukraine's president is set to deliver a virtual address to the U.S. Congress on Wednesday. We will go in-depth into the Russia-Ukraine war. We will also head back to Kiev, where there was an apparent air raid warning earlier that sent people into shelters. And we'll talk to a Russian immigrant here in Los Angeles who is worried that her daughter and others of Russian heritage here could be targets of abuse or harassment. Tom Brady, he was retiring, then he wasn't, then he did, now he isn't. He's coming back for another season. We'll look into what more, if anything, arguably the greatest quarterback of all time has to prove. Maybe he just wants one more ring. Uh, we end today's show with our first in-studio guest since before the pandemic. The last yeah. guest we had was, was Mayor Garcetti. The mayor right, of Los right Angeles. Right before we did That's lockdowns. Right. That is absolutely right. And then today we'll have uh, LBC's radio presenter, Darren Adam. We talked to him from across the pond, leading Britain's conversation. He'll join us, longtime friend of the show. We'll talk about Ukraine from um, the UK perspective, the pandemic, the queen, all of it with Darren later on. So this is either a, a good sign about the pandemic or he's going to end up being patient zero. <laughs> so it's, it's he had to test to get into this country, right? <laughs> we'll find out, one of the two. Uh, we start, though, with the latest on the war. Journalist Phil Littner is back with us. He's covering everything from Lviv, a major city in western Ukraine. Phil, thanks for being with us again. Uh, so things have gotten over the weekend kind of dicey in the western part of Ukraine where you are. Yeah, uh, we've had a relatively quiet period for the last, uh, well, the better part of uh, over a week. Uh, but uh, over the weekend, yeah, several air raid sirens uh, blaring here in Lviv because apparently cruise missiles headed to a town about 30 miles west of where I am, very close to the Polish border, where international fighters were uh, uh, coming and registering and uh, doing some training. But in addition to that, an airfield as well, and perhaps a, a uh, weapons stockpile. So uh, that may have been an isolated incident, but nevertheless, people in this town are starting to get a little bit anxious, thinking perhaps the war is headed our way. Yeah, how surprised are people that it happened, especially some of those strikes right there so close to the, the Polish border, you know, NATO territory. Some of the TV shots of, of Lviv show plenty of people just kind of life as usual, going to cafes and doing things. But then when sirens are going off, uh, that's a whole different kind of perspective. Well, we've we've just today, uh, just within the last two hours, have had two more siren events. So it is ongoing, and you're right. Uh, over the weekend, people did kind of go out on the town, and I've, I've got I actually, uh, Mike Charles, I have a, a YouTube channel which is simply my name, Philip Itner, one L, and Philip and two T's, and Itner, where I was out yesterday, kind of walking amongst the people in Lviv, and they're. There, there's almost a desperation, almost a sense of anxiety to, to try and hold on to normality as long as they possibly can. So they were out with their children. There's an ice skating rink in the middle of town. There were uh, musicians uh, out, uh, you know, trying to kind of raise people's spirits. Um, but uh, you scratch beneath the surface, and yeah, people are starting to get quite anxious here. Fellas, I'm sure you know the president of Ukraine is going to have a, a virtual addressed to the U.S. Congress on Wednesday. Now, I know he wants, because he said it, uh, a no-fly zone. That's probably not going to happen. What what else could be on his laundry list, his shopping list? 
Uh, well, he's definitely going to ask for weaponry, but I think the message that he will send is a message I've heard from many, many Ukrainians that I've spoken to since I've arrived here. And I've been coming here for 21 years, and since this war began, I came back um, because I made various promises to many uh, friends here uh, that I would do so and bear witness. And uh, what I'm hearing from many people, and the message I suspect we'll hear from President Zelensky on Wednesday when he talks to Congress is, you may not have a choice here. The, the, the war has started, and it will affect you. That's what I'm hearing from many Ukrainians, that the West doesn't get it quite yet, that when, he, when, when Putin attacked Ukraine, he didn't just attack Ukraine. He, he, he was going to have ramifications throughout the Western world. And the message he has said repeatedly, and again, I've heard from Ukrainians here on the ground, is you just don't know it yet. We're we're the front lines. We're the we're the first guys who are going to be attacked. But don't doubt for a second that he's just going to stop with Ukraine. Journalist Phil Itner back with us in Lviv, Ukraine. Phil, thanks. We head back though now to uh, Ukraine, where Russian forces are moving even closer to the capital, Kiev. Now they supposedly are spreading out with the goal of surrounding the capital. With us again is University of Pittsburgh economics professor Tim Malovinov, who is in Kiev. Uh, Tim, thanks for being back. With us, uh, since the last time we talked to you, when things were relatively tranquil uh, where you are, uh, I understand that you were in a, a fallout shelter not too long ago today. Yeah, but I, I'm not quite in Kiev. I'm southwest of Kiev. Okay. We kind of have to move um, because our first location was really not safe anymore. But um, yeah, uh, I had some panel discussion at the UCLA, thousand people on the call, and I just <laughs> give two minutes intro. And there is a, you know, it's an it's it's not a train, and it's a it's a air raid. It's real. It's rockets. Masal, please please shut down the windows, switch off the lights, go to the basement immediately. So it's fun. You, know, you have to like like in the military, you have uh, the time usually between the announcement and um, the landing of missiles is two minutes. So you have to pack and dress and get everything you need, assuming that you will never come back within two minutes. How often is that happening? Um, you know, it depends on the area. Some people do it uh, several times a day. Uh, we have been relatively lucky where we are. It happens. This type of uh, warning, severe warning happens maybe every couple of days. Have you thought about leaving Kiev? Is it possible for you to leave Kiev and head west? Well, you know, as I said, I'm sufficiently far away from Kiev, from the activities, so I'm safe. I can move further west, that's no problem, but it doesn't really matter because Russia now bombards, you know, capriciously, I think, almost. But when you say, uh, when you say you're far, and how many miles are we talking about in terms of, what's your definition of far? You know, far, it means that I am not within, let's say, 20 miles or 30 miles of active military activities. 20 miles, okay. All right. 20, 30 miles. So kind of a but suburb it, type situation. Yeah, so, so suburb for the suburb, but it can really get nasty very quickly. But the rockets is the worst because now the ground troops are basically stuck. Russian ground troops, they're advancing here and there and then get pushed back. But it's really these rockets and they are now, you know, no, we have daily meetups, checkups and meetings with the management of the Kiev School of Economics and the president there. And, you know, a typical morning goes like this, you know, eight vice presidents and three are reporting that uh, rockets hit next to them, but they're okay. So that's a typical morning check. So what is that like in a, in a daily life kind of sense? I mean, 
just the surrealness of it. And then also, I mean, if, if you think, okay, well, maybe I should pack up and go even further. Well, then, you know, you could be back in a danger zone before you know it and not even realize it. Yeah. So, there, you know, first of all, humans apparently adapt to almost everything very quickly. I think the first two weeks, it feels like a sprint, you know, like you're running a hundred meter in in olympics you know and you feel that you're gonna right now your heart is gonna give out and just gonna fall because you don't have any energy you didn't have enough oxygen but then after that you get into this marathon feel and it's it's different type of perseverance that you need like to make another step you know there's no immediate danger but it's the same over and over and it puts pressure on you you know and you need to find some people collapse under it others you know find a way uh, the trick I did to my company, and it's uh, I learned it in the 90s when the Soviet Union collapsed and later in 2014, you actually have to make everyone work on important projects really, really hard so everyone is occupied and then their mental health is better and people can actually function. Uh, but, uh, you know, you just get used to it. Tim, when we talked with you last week, uh, I believe you were still teaching virtually. Uh, are you still doing that? Correct. I did connect with the Pittsburgh students. I haven't done it since that because it was a little bit hectic, but I would very much like to do it. I was supposed to go back on April 1st to teach classes for three weeks. And, you know, <laughs> my my faculty, my, my friends, my fellow instructors will pick it up. But um, I, good that you reminded me. I'll, I'll connect with my students and try to teach a lecture, too. A little bit hectic is Yeah, is, that, that's is probably a giant an understatement. understatement. Yes, a little right? hectic, huh? I mean, well, okay. I'm sure they, they, you know, would love to see you and, and hear from you. But obviously, and they're probably going to have questions. What, what would you talk about in terms of what you're experiencing with them or in the economic side, the sanctions against Ryan? What would class be like? For you right now, you know, the, the last class they were just shocked. You know, they were shocked to see me because it's you know they read it in the news and uh, and before that I was already kind of exotic enough for them as a, as a faculty. You know, I'm an economist, but at the same time I was in the government and you know I talked to the president. You know, it's a big deal for kids. You know, and uh, I get them to you know expose them to kind of thinking which is done in real policy making decision making and say you know it's not what quite the university teach you know the real writing is different the real thinking is different this is an example and the funny thing the ironic thing before going to ukraine i just asked i give them an assignment to think of the scenarios whether there will be a war or not and uh, what what they think the putin has done and i have not graded it and i probably won't be but i wonder if anyone got it right so probably i will give them an assignment uh, to reassess their scenarios go back to what they have written and say given in the light of new information how should have they written that analysis and that assignment um, because that would kind of uh, force them to think about what what assumptions they had right and what assumption they had wrong uh, that's uh, assuming i would have the state of mind and uh, time and uh, capacity to teach them that right yeah i want to talk about you, you mentioned some people it's a sprint and some people it's a marathon and some people collapse under it um how are people holding together i mean you sound like you're doing okay given the circumstances around you in your friendship group in your some of the peers that you have there uh, i know you're 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 a bit out of town but still you've got the sirens i mean how how are people doing as far as you can tell living under this for all this yeah. time now people are different you know it's like different people cope differently with trauma of war 
or any trauma for that matter. But trauma is difficult, of course. Uh, we, um, you know, we have, uh, you know, we have focused our energy on helping people. We are fundraising. We're getting medical kits. These are special medical kits, which, um, you know, most people right now in Ukraine die from uh, blood loss after shelling because the shelling comes in, you know, it's a, a munition, you know, cluster munition falls or a ballistic missile drops on your uh, on your um, on your building unless you die immediately you know if it hits you or you're really close most likely there will be some stuff flying into you either this cluster you know flax uh, shrapnel or something heavy and then people essentially get cut and they start losing blood and you have 20 people or 100 people immediately losing blood and if you don't have those medical kids to kind of immediately stop chemically and sometimes with uh, some mechanical devices blood loss then most of these people will die and it's real because just simply no capacity for tim, emergency service tim I'm, I'm sorry I, yeah. i'm curious i'm curious about something because you were talking yeah. about no no you were talking about how it affects different people in different ways and i am curious how it's affecting you and i'm i'm asking you because what you said before about it being hectic, and as Mike pointed out, sort of an understatement, you're in the middle of a yeah. war zone, and the way you're kind of rattling stuff off is very clinical sounding. Is that your sort of defense mechanism? Is that how you are, are dealing with uh, this? Perhaps. I put myself to work, and I have always done that uh, in my life. Uh, uh, I put my, you know, I really do a lot of work, and some other people cry, and other people, you know, just desperate uh, but I, I uh, yeah, I think uh, everyone around me in my company, I've made them work, and uh, that helps them. I, in my, I think it's my, you know, then they actually read, <laughs> they read less news, keep them and, busy. Uh, you know, yeah. there, there is there is little they can do about it. You know, uh, about the news, and if they sit, you know, the people become zombies. They kind of keep reading and watching news over and over and then after that they just they they become dysfunctional so we have to make them work and uh, this is you're right that's probably my defense man does the worry creep in though in a long term like what is the end game here what happens do they eventually they the russians take over and then there's some resistance do we have to live under them do we win i mean does that does that stuff you know, still they, get into your head they, no, no, I think it's different. Um, what Putin, the messages Putin sent to us is um, is of the type uh, that remind us of how the Soviets ruled Ukraine, especially before the World War II, uh, where we had this uh, Holodomor, where they, you know, mm, they bombed our churches, for example. One, one iconic church in the East yesterday was bombed. Then they bombed uh, a training center really close to the Polish border in the Western Ukraine. So sending a message to everyone, you're not safe anywhere. Even if you are sitting on the Polish border, 14 miles from the Polish border, you will be, you can be bombed. And um, in Kherson, where um, Russian troops occupy Kherson, they are snatching people. I have a friend there and he said just 20 of people I know have been have been arrested. And I asked him, have they, you know, are you sure they have been arrested? He says, we are hoping they have because we have not seen them ever since. So the message which has been sent to us is submit fully and you will, you might die anyway, even if you submit. So, uh, so everyone understands that it's going to be like it was under the Soviets and it means more people will be dying. So if our choice is to die Either way, then we can as well fight. And I think uh, we want freedom and we will be fighting because of that. Because they, you know, what? Unless, unlike most of the rest of the world, 
we truly understand what Russia has become. And it's a very dark place. And to resist it, to survive, we have to fight it. Tim, we're going to run out of time, but I do want to ask you, because uh, we didn't the last time, do you have a family? And if so, are they with you now? Yeah, my wife is next to me. Next to you? And, and we don't have children, yeah, but my wife is here. And, and how is she dealing with all this? She's working too. She's tired, napping now. <laughs> okay. All right, Timmy Levinov, um, there on the uh, kind of suburban area of Kiev, away from at least uh, some of the danger. Tim, thank, thank you again for coming back and talking to us. We wish you the best, and uh, we hope you stay safe, and we hope we can speak again soon. It's still remarkable how he referred to being in a war zone as, as somewhat hectic. Yeah, I haven't taught class for a while because it's a little hectic. Yeah. So uh, that's Tim out there um, near Kiev, and uh, we'll have more to come right here on In Depth. This is KNX In-Depth. He's Mike. I'm Charles. The war in Ukraine being felt here in Southern California, not just by people from Ukraine, but people from Russia. There's a growing concern they might feel some kind of backlash about the war. Now, some people originally from Russia also say they are worried about their kids and what they might face. With us now is Alia Mikkelsen. She's a philanthropist, recording artist here in Los Angeles. She was born in Russia and was a former journalist there as well. Alia, thanks for being with us. So your concerns for you and your family are what? Thank you. Thank you for having me. First of all, uh, you know, the topic that we talk right now is so important for Russian speaking community abroad because uh, and I purposely put it like that, not Russians, because for the outsider, Ukrainian or Belarusian person speaking Russian will look the same. And we historically related nations and almost everyone in central Russia has a relative in Ukraine, including myself. And, um, you know, the question you're asking is very different. You know, what concerns and was I somehow were treated differently or not. Because, for example, I have been an American citizen for 10 years and I never voted for Putin. But when Russia came to Ukraine, I felt like I had something to do with it. And I felt almost the physical pain and I didn't sleep for many nights. And, um, you know, all Russian-speaking immigrants I know were the first to be vocal about their feelings and organize fundraisers to help. And uh, we united here with everyone in our desire for peace. And uh, yes, there are concerns there are concerns and, um, you know, the, the fear that people could put anger that's outside there on us. But at least here in California, people can comprehend the complexity of the situation because it's a Russian tragedy, too. And um, I, I'm grateful for Ukrainian-born actress Mila Kunis that said it the best recently. That is the war of people of power and Russian people, especially that are flying from the regime, aren't the enemy. And uh, I personally received uh, many messages of support and understanding, and I'm grateful we, we all stand for peace. We mentioned earlier some concerns about, um, you know, kids in schools and, and children are just going to maybe mirror what they see at home or here on the news and they don't fully understand everything. So is that also a worry that, you know, there's going to be some some harassment or bullying of of the children in schools and, and, and because the, the kids don't actually understand those complexities that you were just talking about before? Absolutely. Um, there is concerns like that. And I'm concerned. And, and you know, when it's all started. My child, and she's American through and through, uh, she was born in Russia, but she immigrated when she was so little. She doesn't know anything 
besides California, and she came and she was stressed by all the news and people talking about Russia is evil, while for her, Russia is me, her loving mom, you know, VD and exotic fairy tales that she heard from me and Pierishki from grandma. So, of course, she was stressed, but uh, we talked with her and we, I talked with some other moms uh, in Russian-speaking community, and we're all concerned because, as you can tell, even from our recent past in America, the nationalistic ideas are still very much alive. And it's very easy to spark hate, but with the fire, you cannot calm the fire. And uh, also what's concerns me lately uh, that I've heard these messages that's about the Russophobia um, very loud from Russia. And with the Kremlin's ability to create an alternative reality fast, I do not want people to buy this idea about Russophobia here. Because, you know, Russians, Soviet Russians especially, have the idea that the world is against them already in their head. And maybe what I say right now might sound surprising, but what if we, instead of hate, we'll send them a message of hope and pray for them to see what is right and wrong? Uh, what if they need it? What if they need this help? Alia, you were a journalist uh, in Russia. Do you have any sense uh, or opinion on how far Putin might want to take this war? I do not know if I'm in a position to uh, give any prognosis uh, because um, I decided for myself uh, working in a journalism in Russia many years ago that I personally do not really want to have anything to do with this profession and I'm trying not to follow news it just uh, I feel like it's better for uh, my mental health um, and as I mentioned early I'm you know I'm just praying for uh, for peace I'm praying for people to understand what's right and wrong uh, and I hope for, uh, for this nightmare to be over as soon as possible. That's Salya Mickelson, philanthropist, recording artist here in L.A., uh, born in Russia. All you thanks. Well, Tom Brady was supposed to ride off into the sunset with his seven Super Bowl championships and probably the greatest career of anyone to ever play in the NFL. He announced his retirement earlier this year as the league looked to surge ahead without him for the first time this century. But the retirement short-lived, as no doubt you've heard. 40 days is all it was. Brady changed his mind now says he's coming back, playing again for Tampa Bay. With us is Rams Hall of Famer and KNX NFL insider Jackie Slater. Played 20 years in the league uh, himself. Okay, so here's my first question. How come you retired once and Tom Brady gets to retire over and over again? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a great question. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, I, I marvel at this guy. Uh, when I think about uh, what I went through, I, I thought I was just a little bit crazy. But here's a guy that's that's potentially going into his 23rd season in the National Football League is a, pretty much as a starter for the entire time. He's had a blown-out ACL when he, when he missed the year. But other than that, this guy has dealt with the rigors of the sports like a few other guys in his position has done. And in, in light of all of the rigors of the sport and the adversity, this guy continues to play at a top-shelf level. And I think it's going to be a treat for everybody watching him play his 23rd season. Did you actually think he was retiring? I mean, what, he made it like 40 days and everyone the whole way was looking for different clues and watching his facial expressions when they would ask him about it and all this stuff. I mean, did you believe that he was actually going to come back in the end? Absolutely not. I, I thought he was done. I, I'd never seen Tom, Tom wait, you know, go waver back and forth uh, like this on any issue, any particular conversation that has come up with him. 
at least over the last 13, 14 years that I've been watching him. And, and I was really thought, thinking that he had retired. Uh, however, you know, I, I know what it feels like to be, you know, out of the game that first year after so many years. In my case, I played like 29 straight seasons of football and counting the pros and everything else. And I remember that first offseason going into the offseason thinking, well, I don't have to train as hard for the upcoming season. I remember when that first season came around, how lost I felt for a period of time. I was busy and I was working and all that, but it was just so unfamiliar to me to not be lifting, to not be running, to not be focusing on the defenses, to not be focusing on the new technique that defensive linemen were using. So it was just a, it was just an empty sort of feeling for a while there. And so I can imagine that Tom dealt with that at some point and, uh, and probably talked to himself and said, Hey, there's no reason why I should let age dictate to whether what I should and shouldn't be playing football. I'm still capable. My numbers just proved that. And so why not? Let's go for it. Probably talk to those with his wife and boom, he's right back in the middle of it. And I think we're going to be treated to another great season of football watching him play. So how do we know when he really retires? <laughs> well, you know, one of the things that I, I can honestly tell you that, uh, you know, when I got to the I, – I love the game. There's no, you'll never talk to another person that loved the game as much as I do and everything about it. And, uh, you know, when I had to make my decision to stop playing football, my body actually made that decision for me. I had busted up my left tricep. And, you know, for an, an offensive lineman with a busted up arm like, like mine was, it's, it's like a running back with a, with a really bad knee and can't run and cut and all that. So it was – it was pretty much my body telling me, "Hey, we've done everything we could do. You had the surgery. We didn't get. The, we got it fixed, and then you busted it up again. So, you know, it's it's pretty much time. And uh, and and by the way, very few people have done what you've attempted to do here, even over the last couple of years." And he kind of had said before, maybe once I get to like 45, and then he was like, now I think, what, he's 44, so he's a year short of that. So, hey, maybe if this is his last year, he wants to get to that pre-stated goal. Uh, but the conditioning, I mean, the, the the stuff that this guy can still do at that age, as you were referring to before, is is incredible, whether you're a Tom Brady fan or not. The fact that he can still do this is is amazing. It, it, really, is, it really is amazing, and it's a testament to – you know, to the way he go about his training. Because, see, this is one of the things that I grew to understand. That's, that's not um, – this this is this pertains to every single guy that plays the game of football. Uh, it, it doesn't it doesn't miss a single person. Every single guy that plays this game taxes some physical element of his body. It could be his knee. In my case, I used to tax, you know, my left knee because I was pushing off, catapulting – you know myself off of the, off the line of scrimmage explosively to get in position for these speed these speed rushes. Well, one of the things that that I noticed over the years was I, I began to develop tendonitis in that push leg that I worked on all the time. And then the same thing with the elbow that I busted up. That elbow was my dominant hand as a pass blocker. So I'm constantly thumping people with that arm, and 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 it just wore out basically. So with Tom. It's going to happen for the most part, like it does with everybody. There'll be some little physical thing to happen that he has been dealing with and trying to, you know, put a Band-Aid over with his training, with his meds, with everything that simply says, hey, I'm done. This particular area that you've been depending on is not going to be able to help you anymore. <laughs> That's the way it works. What does this do for 
the Bucks, who had a bunch of guys who are free agents and could have gone to other teams, and they were looking for ways to try and keep them. Well, now that Tom's hanging around, that job got a whole lot easier. Yeah, that job got a whole lot easier, and a lot of guys are thinking and thinking because just two years ago wasn't that far away, and, uh, you know, they won the Super Bowl his first year there. They were close, got in the playoffs, and, and uh, were not for the Rams. They, they would have gone farther. Who knows, maybe won another one. Uh, but they, they've got the elements in place down there to be a good football team, to be a great football team. And I think Tom, you know, knowing that this guy has never settled for mediocrity. He's never been mediocre in anything that I've seen him do. This guy probably wants to go and do it and run it back. He probably wants to run it back from a couple of years ago and thinks he has the potential to do it. Because you think about it, he was uh, pretty much rendered, you know, uh, he was rendered pretty much, you know, unarmed for the most part. He lost a couple of his key guys, his, his, you know, in his in his running game, key guys in his passing game, and he was, you know, he was, uh, you know, he was operating like kind of like he was that last year in New England. So, you know, to get guys back, to get guys back on board with him, I don't think that's going to be a major chore at all. And then adding some maybe some young blood here and there just will make the team that much better. The dude who bought his last touchdown pass for $500,000, he bought that football at auction. Does he need a <laughs> refund? <laughs> I I'm wondering what in the world is being yeah, What kind of policy did that come with, right? Yeah. I heard that. When I heard that, I thought to myself, okay, well, now you can say this is the last touchdown that Tom threw in his, before he retired the first time. The first time, Yeah. <laughs> KNX uh, NFL insider Jackie Slater was uh, in the league for 20 years. Can you imagine? I, I mean, I guess if you buy that ball, you got a bunch of money anyway. So, but here's what: Are we going to cover Brady when he eventually, actually, yeah. really? Will we believe retires? him this time? I'm not. Are you? <laughs> we'll see how it okay. goes. Depends if he wins or not. <laughs> All right. More in depth on the way. Our uh, our special guest from the UK. This is KNX In-Depth, along with Mike Simpson. I'm Charles Feldman. Lots going on in the world right now. War in Ukraine, COVID cases on the rise in Asia, parts of Europe, uncertainty with the economy here in the U.S. and elsewhere. Gas prices, oil prices going up. People are nervous. As one of our guests earlier said, things are hectic. Right, just a little hectic. (laughs) Things are a little hectic with us. To try to make a little bit of sense of all this is a friend of the show, Darren Adam, presenter for LBC Radio in the U.K. That's leading Britain's conversation. Darren is actually in studio. Yes. With us. You are well, our first studio guest since the pandemic started. And such an honor. And I've been given my own set of headphones that I can take away. Yes, well. this How is a. Uh, Put a little sticker on them. We, we spared all expenses. You did. You did. <laughs> to, to, to do this. But, but thank you for coming in and thank you you're on your. Welcome. On, because you're on vacation holiday yes. here. Yes. And, yes. and thanks for coming in to, uh, to be with us. Um, Let's start since that is the the big news of uh, of late mm. uh, in the Russian invasion uh, of Ukraine. Um, I know you've been away from the UK for for a few days, but still, uh, the UK is a lot closer than mm. the US is to uh, Ukraine. And I'm wondering if you get a sense that people in in the UK might be a bit on edge about all of this. The last show that I did, which is a week past Friday, uh, I went, went on air at 1 o'clock UK time in the morning, 1 a.m., and it was about 30 minutes after the news broke that the biggest nuclear power station in Europe was being shelled by the Russians. 
So that certainly counted as breaking news and also very alarming news. We didn't know what it meant at that point other than those facts. And as we were covering the story about 10 minutes into the hour, I got an email from someone in London, Jen, I think her name was, who was so worried. She said, please, 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 can you find somebody to put on the radio to reassure me that the world is not going to end? Hmm. And she said in her email, I don't know whether I should drive straight around to my parents to be with them on their final night on Earth. And there was such fear and such terror around. As it happened, we were able to speak to a military advisor, retired military strategist, I think, who, who joined us on the show about 10 minutes later, who said, look, shelling a nuclear power station is a really bad idea. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. but, the, not the, advisable. but the intention of the act is not to use it as a weapon against humanity. This particular nuclear power station, despite being the, the biggest in Europe, it is also what provides 25% of Ukraine's electricity. So the intention here, even though it's a really stupid idea, the intention is to disable it. It is to deny that level of electricity supply to Ukraine. So I hope that helps your listener. And it did, because you could feel the temperature sort of metaphorically dropping a couple of degrees once it was known that the intention of this incredibly reckless act was not, in fact, to cause another... Uh, meltdown on on the scale of Chernobyl because that's that's how it felt at that point. It is. We mentioned you know the first guest that we've had in here since the pandemic. It's yes. been a few straight years of just crazy headlines because I mean you mm-hmm. think about Russians shelling uh, nuclear power plant that certainly counts as one. Yes, right. This is something Most that you never expected to say out onto the radio, and yet here we are after COVID, after all, all sorts of things. Yes. Well, COVID of course has dominated the conversation for the last couple of. Years And I remember very clearly talking to to my boss, in fact, when Brexit ended or Brexit hasn't ended. It can't end. It's a terrible idea. It doesn't work. But nonetheless, the people who believed in it it think that it's finished. And so we thought, well, what will we talk about next now that Brexit is, quote, over, unquote? And then, it'll, be course, so the, it'll be so quiet. It'll be so quiet. We'll have nothing to talk about. And that was January 2020. And you'll recall that became a rather noisy <laughs> yeah, very quick. It was a hectic month. A, a hectic, hectic month, month yes. indeed. I, indeed. I want to go circle back, and, and yes. we'll get more to the pandemic a little bit uh, later, I think. But but to go back to, to uh, Russia and yes. Ukraine. Uh, so we have all these sanctions that the U.S. and, and, and the U.K. And, and, and other Western allies have imposed on uh, Vladimir Putin and on, on Russia. But yet for years and years and years, uh, the U.S., mm. your country, the U.K., mm. You know, we've sort of allowed these oligarchs in Russia yeah. to wash their dirty money through expensive homes, right, in, in London? Certainly in London. Expensive Certainly homes, London. I dare say, yeah. probably in the Hollywood Hills. Yeah. Uh, so we're sort of, we have a moral responsibility, do we not? Yes, but I think what happened is that when communism ended, the world went, that's great, communism is over, at least in the Soviet Union and the surrounding states, and we watched communism turn very quickly into a turbocharged form of capitalism. And Mm. what we didn't notice was that with that brief period where Boris Yeltsin was in charge, Russia was still a very authoritarian country. So Russia shook off communism, but it didn't shake off authoritarianism. And and as I say, we didn't really mind because we could see that people weren't living under the yoke of communism anymore. And and for a long time, and remember, Putin's been at or near the top of the Russian gov- government in one form or another for, for nearly 25 years. We didn't really see that as being a problem until very recently. And yes, we can go back to Crimea. We can go back to other 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 conflicts, other parts of Ukraine where terrible things have taken place. But for some reason, we didn't really 
mind, it seems, until very recently, and nor did we mind all the money sloshing around. And we continue our discussion with Darren Adam, presenter on Leading Britain's Conversation Radio, LBC, who uh, normally has been with us via Zoom or phone, Mm. and now is actually sitting in the studio with us. And it would normally be just about time for me to go to work. It would be 17 (laughs) minutes past nine in the evening in the UK. Well, it is, but not here. And, and But one of the reasons, of course, that you haven't been in the U.S. for the past two years has been the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm curious how people there in the U.K. are dealing with it now. A lot of people here in the U.S. have this sort of attitude that it's in the rearview mirror. Yes. It, it's yes. over. It's done. Yeah. Even though something like close to, to 2,000 people a day are mm. still dying in this country alone. Yeah. Of, of COVID. How is it in the UK? Vaccination has changed everything. It's changed people's perception of how risky this thing is. It's changed mine, if I'm honest, because it's now something that I don't fear epidemiologically or biologically. I did fear it very much in the run up to this trip, because had I tested positive, or if my partner had tested positive, we wouldn't have been able to come here. I've become rather more sanguine since I got into the country, I have to say, about the, the risk that it poses. But I do think that vaccination has changed the, the, the game dramatically. It has slashed the number of or the percentage of people who are likely to die or to suffer serious consequences if they are infected. And that does change people's mindset dramatically. Uh, as well as the rules that have to be in place as a consequence. So in England, certainly, I'm not sure whether in the rest of the country this is the case or has become the case in the last week, but certainly in England, if you test positive for COVID, you're no longer compelled by law to self-isolate. So you can go about your business. Obviously, the advice is sensible. <laughs> the advice is yeah. not to go around sneezing yeah. on strangers. Don't go breathe in someone's yeah. face. Yeah. Exactly. But but it's it's a sizable shift, I think, because that is the first time since, what, March 2020, where if when if you have tested positive, you aren't compelled to isolate. That's are you wearing masks? Change. Yeah. Yeah, you are. Yeah. If you go to a supermarket, you're wearing a mask. Is it? Not, is are you told to, or are you pretty much done? And we're all just in recommendation yeah, territory not here. Not by law, but I think that um, the supermarkets they can heavily suggest or recommend or guide people to wear masks, and people still choose to. I mean, I I will as much as a courtesy to anybody else. But tell the truth: if you're in a crowded place, yes. and somebody behind you coughs, do you get yeah. nervous? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> you do. Well, I, I did. That happened a few weeks ago, and I was wearing a mask, and there was somebody behind me who was was on the phone and having quite an agitated conversation. So he was obviously breathing quite heavily and yeah. quite enthusiastically, and I I tried to put as much distance between myself and him as, as possible, even though I was facing the other way. We've all learned more about personal space yeah. through this, right? Or how much we would, would rather someone else give us, even yes. if they're not you know clued but, into the equation. I still think the strangest thing about this is when the, the, the advice about how to stay safe from COVID first emerged, and hand washing was a was a big thing. And the advice became wash your hands in these circumstances, one of which was once you've been to the lavatory. And I thought, has it really taken a <laughs> Why pandemic? are we not doing this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for, for that to become a thing that we do. So now the, the, the listen to this segue. So the queen had COVID. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> no, thank you. I, I didn't give it to her. No, no. I've got an Charles did. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Although unconfirmed. So, so the queen had COVID. <laughs> uh, she apparently has, has recovered, I guess, quite nicely. Yes. Uh, but she is uh, 90, what, five? Going on 90? 90, 95, I believe. Yeah, almost. Yes. Yeah, yeah, 95, almost 96. Almost right? 96. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what happens in the UK, I'm not going to say if, when she dies? Something called Operation London Bridge 
kicks wow. in. That sounds force. very formal. Yeah. Well, there is a uh, there is a process that we'll that we'll all go through, or the country will go through. And obviously, with with one eye on the media, working in the media as I do, we know how it's going to go down. I think that if if it happens, there is a a time of day when the news is going to be announced. There's a very clear process that we've been informed about that we have to go through. We can't we can't see it on social media and announce it, for example. Really? Absolutely not. Absolutely oh, okay. not. Isn't it? Uh, there was a, a, a New York Times piece that was fascinating a few years back, I think. Yeah. And they said there's literally like a little placard that they go hang on the gate. And then the BBC has to do, be the first to break it in yes. and, and say it first. And it they take over be, all the channels or something. Yeah, it might be the PA, the Press Association. But but certainly there is a recognized channel. But you're right that the hanging of the thing on the gate is... Just to say it. Like it's <laughs> proclamation. It is, yeah. it is part of it. I don't think that is that is what we have to wait for these right. Days, but it is but, part of the process yeah. that we that we go through. But look, she's 95 years of age. She's in good health. We've spoken before on this show. I'm not a monarchist, but plainly I wish her no ill. Um, and it is good news that someone at the age of 95 has survived uh, COVID. Before we went on the air, I had asked you a question, and, and you said that no one had ever asked you that before. But I am kind of interested in, <laughs> so when she dies, yes. now her, her face is on every all of the money. All the money. She's on, right. I mean, she's on the pound note. She is on oh, the. She's, she's on Bank of England currency. Okay, and um, she's and on. Don't be thinking now. Is she is she in Canada and like yeah. New Zealand and sure, Australia yeah, money yeah, too? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, Commonwealth. Yeah. Stuff. What happens to all that money? We burn it. <laughs> Large piles in the um, street. Actually, I don't know. I've, I've not. <laughs> I've actually not managed, as you might have imagined, uh, to find an answer in the last couple of hours. Okay. No one's ever asked me. Well, because, I, I, I think it just goes out of circulation. Because in this country, all the people on our money are dead They're already, already, which is yeah, one yeah, of the yeah. advantages. Yeah. I guess. We don't I have suppose. to burn the cash. <laughs> yeah, we can keep it going. But she's very much alive still, and, yes. and she's yeah. all she's ubiquitous. I think that, and we have taken banknotes out of currency. There used to be a one-pound note, for example, that was replaced by a pound coin. There was a grace period during which you could still use them and then take them back to banks and exchange them. That will happen. I'm sure that because you've asked me the question and I don't have an answer, that doesn't mean that someone hasn't thought about this. I'm sure it's on the list. Yeah. We'll, we'll Google it and tell you tomorrow. Burning questions. Yes, yeah, right. But I'm bump. Darren Adam, LVC. Uh, welcome, welcome back to the yes, States. Thanks. Thanks Thank for you. coming in. Thank you very much. All right. That's in depth for the day. We'll be back tomorrow.